Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Pakistan Cricket Podcast. Episode 16, The Spirit of Cricket, Past and Present with Siddhartha Vadyanathan, Andrew Fidel Fernando, and Melinda Farrell. Co-hosted with Zainab Razvi. Uh, Sami, you're muted. Okay, I just cursed on mute as well, so good. <laughs> Sami, get out of it. All right, so this is a really special episode as I have the pleasure of hosting an all-star panel on the spirit of cricket uh, with my colleague Zainab Razvi. Uh, we have three of the best cricket writers in the world uh, with us today, Siddhartha Vadyanathan, Andrew Fidel Fernando, and Melinda Farrell. Hi, everyone. Uh, I know it's been a pain finding the right time uh, to do this with the five of us being in four different time zones. And Osman Samyuddin was supposed to be here as well, which it would have been five different time zones. Um, how are you all? I'm thinking of you, Melinda, and you, Siddhartha, in particular, with, the, with it being really early for Siddhartha and very late for you, Melinda. Yeah, well, lucky I've, I've like come from England and then spent a few days in Perth and then come to the other side of Australia in Canberra. So basically, I don't know if I'm Arthur or Martha. I don't know what time zone I'm in. Uh, so, so look, look, it's just, it's fine. I, I just don't know. It could be like four o'clock in the morning as far as my body is concerned, or it could be three o'clock in the afternoon. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And with cricket, I mean, you're used to different time zones anyway, waking up to watch games. So it's fine. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, and as I mentioned to you all, uh, it's a shame Osman Samyuddin had to pull out because of sickness. Uh, hopefully he recovers very soon. Um, so when the Deepti Sharma and Charlie Dean quote-unquote mancad incident happened, otherwise known as a runout, last month, uh, I knew I wanted to do a podcast uh, to discuss this. And I also knew that Zena would totally be down before I even messaged her to check if she wanted to do this. I think she was totally down. Is is that right, Zena? Yeah, uh, the runouts on the non-strikers ends have been like a bit of a pet peeve of mine on uh, cricket Twitter. So I'm really excited I get to have this conversation uh, with some of the best minds. Uh, I hope we can pick their brains today. 
And uh, not to give anything away, you also said something in the DM saying something about you love these Twitter wars, narrative wars, right? Like <laughs> you, you did say that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a lot. That's a big part of the conversation on Twitter. Who gets to decide like who's winning the narrative wars? And I'm, uh, uh, I also love a bit of England bashing. So, uh, uh, yeah, all, always enjoyable these conversations. That was supposed to be implicit, Zainab, not explicit. <laughs> Either way. Um, so to start us off, um, you know, I guess we'll get directly to the question: What is this thing called the spirit of cricket? You know, what's its history? Um, I was thinking of beginning with you, Fidel. Um, you know, you tweeted on the day that the incident happened uh, and the Twitter wars that Zenev has been talking about began. Uh, and I quote, just a reminder that when what the quote unquote spirit of cricket was decided, brown and black people were not really at the table, end quote. So I'm, I'm kind of curious if you could just start off and tell us what you were referring to in that tweet. Yeah, I mean, it's there's all sorts of ways, angles at which you can approach the spirit of cricket, right? The, the, the thing that's in in writing is a preamble to the laws, uh, which I think can roughly be summed up as general sportsmanship or, you know, general kind of good sporting behavior. Um, and there's nothing exceptional in that preamble that, that sets cricket apart from any other sport in terms of good sporting behavior. So there's th- there's that angle to it. Um, but obviously the much more pervasive, much more powerful idea is this idea that cricket is a, a gentleman's sport, that it's, uh, it's supposed to be played in a certain way and that win at all costs is not part of the mentality, that there are certain ethical guidelines. The issue with that is, of course, these are, these are very culturally specific things. And the idea of spirit of cricket is, predates many of the, the test nations. I'm certainly was around before Sri Lanka became a test playing country. Um, 1982. So it, it predates probably a lot of, uh, uh, of, of the nations that now play cricket. Uh, they kind of came into cricket when a spirit of cricket was already kind of an established idea. And of course, like there is, there is a certain amount of buy-in from probably every nation that plays cricket about what the spirit of cricket is. Um, I think in Sri Lanka, it generally means kind of like playing it in a disciplined and kind of fair manner. Uh, but these specific things, such as uh, such as non-striker runouts or monkeying, that is not something that you know you grow up with here. Um, I grew up playing cricket in New Zealand to a certain extent um, in high school. It very much was a thing there. I remember one time I was uh, backing up too far uh, as a batter in a pretty tight game uh, for my club, and this was about you know this is about fourteen, fifteen years ago. And, uh, and I was given a warning by the bowler and then I still backed up too far and I was run out. Uh, and I kind of, having spent most of my kind of younger years in Sri Lanka, I thought, okay, that's fair enough. I'm going to walk off now. But then my teammates charged onto the field, my Kiwi teammates charged onto the field and they started berating the opposition oh, wow. for, uh, for, for basically getting me out this way. Obviously, I was unhappy because it's it's a really difficult way to get out. You know, it's, it's a difficult thing for a batter to accept that you haven't you haven't really. It doesn't feel like you've really made a mistake. So I understand why many batters feel that way. Uh, but uh, but you know, basically, these guys who played in New Zealand their whole lives came out and they had this big argument. And eventually, I was called back to to bat, which of course I was very happy about. And I you know <laughs> I think we went on to win that match and I scored a forty odd. But um, but. I think that was when I first realized, oh, it's like a big thing here, you know, 
this kind of marketing thing is a big issue. And where I grew up, it just wasn't like, no, like if you, if you got run out, sorry, you know, sorry, boss, like that's, that's it. You're, you, you made the mistake. That's. And so I, I also saw that during just Butlin uh, and uh, our Ashwin's kind of run in with each other at the IPL when at the end of it, Ashwin just said, you know, the only spirit of cricket I understand is playing with, playing by the rules and playing hard and fair and shaking your hands, shaking, mm-hmm. shaking the opposition's hand at the end of it. And it got me thinking, you know, like why the spirit of cricket is, means different things to different people. And uh, there is this idea, particularly in, in the, within the English cricket establishment, I think, where um, the spirit of cricket means certain things and it can only mean that thing. And there is a resistance to accepting that other cultures see it differently because perhaps because, you know, England is where cricket comes from um, and, and very much still sees it's, itself as a home of cricket and as kind of a, a guardian of the game to an extent. So perhaps that is what feeds into those attitudes. Um, and it always, it always seems to blow up the most when an English batter is involved. And uh, that is where kind of a lot of this kind of outrage is generated. So I think it's important to note, to, to, to take note of the fact that, you know, other people didn't really agree for the spirit of cricket to include monkering or non-striker runouts. No one else or very few others agreed to that. That's not something that people think about. Um, and so for it to become such a kind of moralistic thing uh, does seem to me to be very culturally specific. And it's important, I think, for everyone in cricket to understand that this is why in South Asia in particular, which is the mm-hmm. other kind of culture that I know, people just don't care about it. It's part of the rules. It's, you're out, get out. Thank you. No, this, that's a great start to the conversation. And uh, and we want to get to the, the man cutting in particular later. So I'm glad you've already given like a sort of like really, you know, great sort of pre- preview into the complexity of that conversation and the contours of that debate. Um, I was going to check in with you, Siddhartha, like the, the question of its history and its origins, you know, something that Fidel talked about in England and this idea of this gentlemanly game. I know Duncan Stone has written a book on sort of um, the working class origin of the people's history of it, which, you know, I would love to read at some point. But uh, the the people who decide what the narrative is and the people who control even till today in the UK um, are is, uh, you know, the elite in the in the United Kingdom with these sort of like loose ideas of gentlemanly cricket and the spirit with the MCC as an institution that um, stands as a symbol uh, in many ways of that. So I'm kind of curious if we could just uh, touch on that history a little bit more for people who are not aware of uh, where this history begins and what the role of the gentleman, the elite slash MCC is. Yeah, I mean, there is, there is a lot of history and baggage to this with the uh, amateur, uh, you know, sort of amateurs and the professionals uh, traditionally being a part of English cricket where the amateurs were, you know, not paid, but they were anyway from like the elite class. So they didn't really need to be paid. And they controlled a lot of the way cricket was played there. I mean, many of the English captains, even though were who were pretty bad cricketers, were uh, captains of the country because they were amateurs and because they were, you know, they held power uh, because of their status. So, yeah, I mean, it's important to have uh, people like Duncan Stone, Mike Marcuse, uh, and, you know, uh, Ronald Bowen, who is like the pioneer in this kind of history, uh, coming up with these alternative histories where you talk about how cricket was not necessarily this, you know, game where people were this village game in England where people just went to have some fun and uh, play, you know, and play in the weekends and then act uh, 
silly and things. It was a very hard-fought professional game for many people. For many people, it was money. For many people, it was putting food on the table. If you don't win a game today, you don't have, you, you really, you know, your economic situation doesn't improve. And so that is important. But also, this is very interesting that you brought up the MCC here because the MCC clearly in its preamble to the laws has a written document about the spirit of cricket, which Fidel just came up with. And there is nothing in that document that goes against what uh, Deepti Sharma did or what uh, yeah. it says, play hard but fair, right? And and fall and uh, accept the umpire's decision, uh, play according to the laws of the game. Everything is all part of it. So while I understand the whole debate about the law itself, which is totally fine, and I think that you can uh, continue to debate the law and See if it should be changed and ways in which it should be implemented. The morality around it is obviously a very cultural thing. And as Fidel said, I grew up in, you know, South Asia as well. I grew up in India where this is like the most common thing. Like when you play street cricket in India, gully cricket as it's called, this is like the, a batsman, a batter will be pulled up and will be shouted at if they were out in this way. It's exactly the reverse. I've had coaches, in fact, like, you know, like playing like, Leatherball cricket, like uh, proper cricket, as we call it, uh, who their instruction was, you are out of the crease, you're out. That's it. So that's your fault. It's not the bowler's fault. It's not the fielding side's fault. You were out of the crease. Stay in your crease. So this is a very normal thing there. And so I don't, I completely agree why an Ashwin would be baffled at the kind of outrage that uh, such mm-hmm. a thing went through because Ashwin played a lot of street, mm-hmm. street cricket and gully cricket. And I'm sure that these things went on all the time. So this is completely uh, sort of a cultural issue. And if when you have such a cultural sort of uh, uh, polarized opinions on this, the only thing that you can go by is that document that is there with the spirit of cricket, which I think everyone should follow. And I think whatever Deepti Sharma did was well within that document. So I don't see a problem here at all. Absolutely. Um, getting to you, Melinda, very quickly, I'm kind of curious, and again, this is the sort of, you're bringing back to the laws and the sort of concrete sort of words, right? But I feel like, and, and you know, it's not, he's not the only person, so I don't want to pull him up on it. And he's passed away as well. Shane Warne went, the idea of this mystical idea with the spirit of cricket, um, in part because his voice is so, so, so powerful that it's stuck in my head. He would always say something like, you know where the line is. And I wonder if that's true. Like, we all think we know where the line is. And many of us may think that we see the line in exactly the same place. But in, the reality is that if you ask 10 different people what the line is and where it is, it's unclear, right? So I feel like there's a mystical idea of the spirit of cricket, which exists above the concrete rules and laws and guidelines. And I'm kind of curious because you, you're, I believe you're both English and Australian. So I'm kind of curious, like, what you uh, take from how English and Australians see this uh, Obviously, there's no, you know, unanimous one single English idea or Australian idea. You know, it's really funny because even um, recently in talking about when he was asked about the the Deep Sharma Charlie Dean incident, Moen Ali, um, who was I, I have a huge amount of time for, and he he was sort of saying, "Ah, oh, look, you know, maybe maybe there could be a line, almost like a line." that it's okay to back up to. And it was like, <laughs> no, there, there is a line. There's actually a physical it's called line. A crease. It's called a popping crease. Yes. And it's there. And it is black and white. But uh, everything else around the spirit of Creed, I absolutely, you know, agree with what with what the others have said about, um, 
you know, that when you read the preamble itself, it, it's it's great, it's fine. But but then what becomes nebulous is is the interpretations around it. Um, I think, and I've spoken to spoken to a lot of people in England and Australia about this. And when you when you bring up the MCC, just last week I talked about this a lot with Fraser Stewart of the MCC, who is the guardian of the laws, um, and 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 the MCC itself is is really trying to change this. They're trying to switch the focus from the bowler to the batter because when it comes to that particular mm. mode of dismissal, and I try very hard just to call it run out of the non-striker because I think by giving mm-hmm. it that special name it, it we're giving it the, we're othering it if you like and at the end of the day it's a run out so I'm, I'm just trying to call it a run out and and if it means mm-hmm. it, you use a few more words and saying well run out the non-striker so be it because we've, we've changed terms in cricket because they're actually better because of the single word that people are used to using mm-hmm. say Chinaman instead of um, left arm wristband. Mm-hmm. But we have gone towards changing those words. Um, it might be a bit difficult, a bit clumsy, whatever. But if you go right, well, it's the right thing to change it. It's the right thing to change it. Um, and I'd love to see more publications switch to using that and to avoiding using the word man cab to describe it. It wasn't even the first one to do it in first class cricket. It was done like in 1834 five or something in in England of all places <laughs> but but even even yesterday when I was talking to someone around the England squad not one of the players um he said ah oh, I think they should change it back I know they've just changed the law but they should change it back they haven't changed the law the law is the same all that the MCC has done has moved that particular paragraph about uh, running out the non-striker out of the section that was surrounding unfair dismissals and putting it just in the runouts. So they're trying to normalise it. The ICC have been trying to do the same. But look, what it comes down to, I think, is this is sort of cricket's version of the culture wars, certainly mm-hmm. one of the great ones, in where everything gets pulled to the extreme. So when you have, you know, in politics, things get pulled to the extreme left and the extreme right, and then it just becomes this, horrible debate where nobody can see the other side's point of view. I've sort of decided that in cricket, when it comes to that dismissal, it gets pulled to the extreme where one side, whether it's cultural, so whether you're saying, you know, it's a lot of people in in South Asia um, or, or, or even other players like an Alex Hales who was you know tweeting about the fact that maybe batters could just stay in their crease until the ball leave, leaves the bowler's hand mm-hmm. um so on that side basically you've got all these people going well the other side's just illogical right you're just completely illogical and then on the other side you've got people who have been brought up from a very young age being told that doing this is shameful it's wrong Mm-hmm. It, it's bad sports. It's a it's a terrible way to behave. You know, you hear all these words. It's caddish. It's sneaky, right? So essentially, those people look at the other side mm-hmm. and say, "Well, they're an asshole." For th- mm-hmm. so you either you basically you're either morally inferior or you're ele- intellectually inferior. <laughs> they're they're the two extremes that this whole thing gets pulled to, and and because then it stirs up emotion because it becomes extreme. 
and people find it almost impossible to see the other side of the point of view because it's that you're either morally inferior or you're intellectually inferior. Uh, so, I, I mean, I've been trying in my own diplomatic way to really try and understand that. And because I, I, I've been trying to work out how we go forward, how do we change this? And so I've been trying to really put myself in that perspective or a point where I relate it to my own upbringing as Catholic. You know, when you grow up being told something is just intrinsically wrong, you know, I, I still feel guilty all the time really easily because I grew up Catholic. Like, so I, I think that's a really big part of it. And, and maybe that if there are enough of us who can sort of stop and still have our own point of view, we're all still going to think we're right, but maybe have some understanding of where, where other people are coming from with that. So I can completely understand not just that if people have grown up playing gully cricket and think it's okay, I actually agree with them. Um, and so do people at the MCC. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you can't actually get that. But how do you then have that conversation with people who just have this it, it's wrong button in their, in their makeup because they have been told since they were eight years old, this is a terrible thing. And if you do this, you, you know, you're a bit of a crappy person. Mm-hmm. How do you get past that? So, I, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more and in, in how we do get past it but um mm-hmm. I, I think that's the thing it gets pulled to the extreme like everything does uh in with social media and you talk about the twitter wars cricket twitter wars well that's why because everything gets pulled to the extreme on twitter mm-hmm. and this is just cricket's version of that kind of cultural war thing mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. And like, I think that's that's uh, one last question before Zena sort of takes over on 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 the Munkat issue and this as well. Um, just because I wanted to, I know that um, uh, uh, Siddhartha, you know, you uh, were instrumental in bringing back the Mark Marquis's uh, book um, and his work. And you and Fidel both were in eighty one out. You had a discussion about that book. So I was kind of curious. It feels like a lot of people, or you, Osman, and others, were reflecting on Mark Marquis, and some maybe even CLR James in uh, thinking about the sort of culture wars or how these seemingly arbitrary ideas of what is right or wrong. Yeah, I mean, Mike uh, uh, wrote his uh, seminal book, Anyone But England, right, in the 1990s. And the reaction to the book itself was, uh, it should tell, uh, will tell you so much about the, you know, people who control the narrative. So it was, a lot of people couldn't believe that Somebody, an American, Mike, Mike was originally an American who moved to England, had written this book and, you know, basically uh, <laughs> appending everything that you knew about cricket till that point by <laughs> saying that this is just all made up stuff. I mean, he is a, he has this famous line in the book that says the Englishness of cricket itself is a lie because, you know, the way it is thought of was I mean, the, historically, the amateurs, as I was speaking about, were the bat, the batsmen or the batters, as we now call them, and the professionals were the bowlers. And so, invariably, a lot of the game became controlled by what the batter wanted. Um, of course, you can say that the batter gets only one chance, and you know you have to give them the benefit of the doubt. All that is fine, but this uh, this particular case of the run out of the non-striker end is particularly acute because. 
it's the batter who, you know, who's sort of considered to be in the higher moral position than the bowler. And a lot of it has to do with the classist origins of cricket and the amateurs and the players. Now, the MCC itself is trying, has tried its best to change things by putting the onus on the bowler. Like originally, I think the law was framed when it said when a bowler tries to run a bat, batsman out at the non-striker end. But then at some point of time, I think a few years ago, they actually reworded it to say when the non-striker leaves the crease before the ball is bowled or something. So they started putting the onus on the non-striker. And Amel did bring up the point about the fact that it was an unfair play. But the unfair play part of it was because of the batter leaving the crease. I mean, when this whole wording changed. So the you could interpret the unfair bit of it from the batter's point of view and not the bowler's point of view. Anyway, now that's out of the unfair play situation. So it's not even in an unfair play. It's a proper law that bowl, it's a legitimate form of dismissal. But yes, uh, people like Mar- Mike Marcosi are really important to read, to understand how so much of what we think about English cricket and so much of how the argument is framed around the spirit of cricket and everything is quite bogus, actually. I mean, it's all just like, it's it's a grand fiction that has lived over, you know, over the years and years. But if you look at it, like, from a historical perspective, there is a reason for this. And there, the reason is the class system in English cricket. And Duncan Stone, as you said, has written a marvelous new book called A Different Class, where he explores all this in detail. And it's uh, fantastic to read. Fidel, do you want to have a go? And then uh, otherwise, Zainab will take over. Uh, no, I'm glad that Sid brought up uh, class as, uh, as, as an issue that's kind of relevant here as well. Um, because it's part of the kind of different interpretations also depends on that, right? Like I think um, even in South Asia, if you've come up through kind of more formal systems and perhaps you're more likely to absorb more of the official spirit of cricket or the, the spirit of cricket as um, as tradition or, or history has it. Uh, whereas if you come up playing uh, street cricket or playing more informal kinds of cricket, which may, increasingly, at least in Sri Lanka and I think perhaps elsewhere too, in, in Pakistan especially, but um, increasingly that is the mode through which cricket has come in. And again, there is, there is a further kind of cultural shift there where they haven't been coached from a young age. Um, in Sri Lanka, for example, one of the biggest you know, coaching schools has, has you know, discipline and, uh, and tradition written into its codes. But the cricketers who come from elsewhere, you can tell them straight away. You can tell, you can tell them from the way they walk to the crease, for example, that they, they do things differently. And so there is a further element of, of separation uh, and that's that's important to understand, not just within the English context, but also apart from it. Because yes, there is yes. I mean, uh, cricket has stopped being English for, for a long time, but England being the place from which cricket came from, there is still even within South Asia there is a, a certain amount less every year, but a certain amount of looking towards England as kind of the mothership, you know. Uh, and uh, those things get broken down generation by generation. And this generation is, has the, the least, uh, the most tenuous links back to those kinds of original ideas of what the spirit of cricket is. So, um, and there is a class element to that as well, even beyond beyond England. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's uh, that's. 
it's fantastic that, that uh, Sudhaka kind of broached that topic. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's something that Zainab and I were interested in as well. It's not just um, in England, the, the issue of class, but also within South Asia and other places as well. Sorry, Zainab, go ahead. Yeah, I, that that was the the point that uh, I'd hope to discuss because uh, when <clears throat> when we had this discussion going around and I <clears throat> sort of like um, scanned the points of views going around on Pakistan Twitter, you could actually see the very clear classes divide on it. And of of course, South Asia and even Pakistan is not a monolith, but uh, a lot of those people who seem to object to uh, non-strikers run out uh, were obviously privileged and people who had learned their game from like elite clubs and so on. So <clears throat> this, they, they saw a run, these runouts as like what amateurs do and therefore unbecoming of professionals, the kind of like low-level uh, shithousery, I don't know. Uh, so it's kind of like really, uh, for me, that it's really difficult to respond to that. I mean, so what if it came out of Gali cricket? So many other things also came out of like amateur sport. I mean, reverse swing was invented uh, uh, like in uh, tape ball. So uh, if, if, I mean, the entire sport, that's a history of the sport. So uh, yeah, I mean, and uh, the fact that people use that as a defense of this uh, is really hard for me to uh, digest. And I, 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 I wonder if you could speak to that. And uh, also, uh, you know, um, the uh, the characterization of the spirit uh, and, and what is the spirit? I mean, why is it so... Uh, uh, contradictory at times like uh, I, I grew up listening to commentary that you should rely on what the fielder is saying if they've caught uh, the ball or not but uh, batsman has the right to stand his ground I mean why why are English notions about what the spirit is there why are they so confusing and contradictory so if you want the game to spread you want new nations to learn it which is what the ICC is saying uh, how can you go about uh, doing that when you have one official set of spirit in the MCC preamble, and then another English spirit, which is so confusing. So I, I wonder if any of you would like to speak to that. Just one thing, certainly, I would say. I've been talking, been talking about a lot about you know the the fact that England going into this T Twenty World Cup, it's like are in the danger of tying themselves into knots in deciding this stuff. So, an example in the first. Um, in the first T20 international, they've just played against England. Uh, Mark Wood was clearly obstructed by uh, Matthew Wade when uh, the ball went up and Wood was trying to get there to take the catch. And and like, I think anybody who saw Matthew Wade looking at him, pushing him away, essentially, was obstructing. England decided not to appeal. If they had appealed, you can't imagine that the that there would have been any other decision there other than that Matthew Wade would have been out. They've, they've, they've kind of, well, Joss Butler decided not to. He sort of made a bit of a joke at the, at the end that, you know, it was a long tour and so probably best not to start that off there. I don't know others were going nuts that why wouldn't you appeal? Because, again, it's another law in the game that's pretty clearly set out. The players know that. They know that you cannot obstruct a player from in that kind of situation. Um, and all of a sudden it's like, well, how many different incidents? And are other teams like making a list, 
oh, these are all the ways that we're, remember this when we play England, because if they're going to sort of say, well, no, you can't do this, they're, they're putting themselves into an interesting position. Um, and it does become a bit confusing. And then this, this, uh, up, this upholder, them being upholders of this nebulous, okay, this is in the laws, but we don't do it. And this is in the laws, but we do do it. It becomes, I think, confusing for fans, but also becomes a little bit difficult for them because it's almost like you're playing a different game to what perhaps others are. Um, I, I don't know. I don't really understand how you end up there other than what I said before about it's, it's just been so strongly ingrained into you that that these things are there. Um I, I, it comes up again, but I guess part of the problem is too. Then, when you start talking about things like batters standing their ground, catches claiming or not claiming catches, it, it becomes even more nebulous there or irritating there when it when it comes to say the recent incident with Deepti Sharma and Charlie Dean, in that people start talking about Ben Stokes when the ball ricocheted off his bat in the World Cup. It, uh, Stuart Broad, you know, nicking off yeah. and, you know, that not walking. It, it becomes this ridiculous whataboutery because every team, uh, for every country, there have all been times when, when people want to win games, they will often quite happily stick to the rules if it advantages them or make take advantage of whatever the laws are there that help them. So it's sort of like sometimes it suits you and sometimes it doesn't. But I, I actually hate the whataboutery because you can point to every single team, whether it comes to ball tampering, not walking, claiming a catch. It just becomes so silly because quite often they, they just don't have anything to do with the actual incident that's on hand. So we can all get involved in whataboutery and pointing fingers, but I guess the danger of of standing up and being the arbiters of it in the same way that Australia used to somehow be the owners of the line, you know, where is the line? Will Australia own it? Well, whoever decides that they're holding the line and we're going to be the moral arbiters, well, then you're, I guess you're opening yourself up to that kind of really irritating whataboutery. It, it, at the end of the day, you do have the laws that are set out. They apply to everyone at, at every level, level of the game from grassroots to international cricket. Uh, so as soon as you start then adding this extra layer to it that's nebulous, I, I, it's just going to be really difficult, I think, to uphold. I think also this is where computer analysts have to come into it in this world. This <laughs> Where they have to figure out what is the what is the what is the distance you can take on England England bowlers at the non-striker <laughs> that, yep. that that they won't notice or that they're like unwilling to kind of you know two meters seems too far uh, one meter seems about right like you know if you're if you're a meter out of your crease every time um, maybe the the England aren't watching for it apparently. So uh, yeah, this is where teams can formulate these kinds of strategies to, to to take a little bit 
take a little bit off England. You know, if you're going to paint yourself into a moral corner, then you know you gotta you gotta reap what you sow at the end. I mean, I the, the whole the example that Mel brought up with the butler not appealing for the obstructing the field of Mark Wood. I mean, it's quite ridiculous, honestly. I mean, uh, okay, maybe he said he didn't see the ball. He didn't see what happened. I mean, he could have asked Mark Wood. He could have asked anybody else around. It's not like uh, there weren't people around who didn't know what happened. And also, I mean, just imagine a situation where you get a direct hit, uh, which is of a pretty obvious run out, and then you don't appeal. I mean, that's like, why? Like, why Mm -hmm. would you not appeal? I can understand if there's a tactical reason for it. Okay, Matthew Wade is struggling to get the ball off the square. It's a T20 game. You want him to be out there because he's not able to score a a run. Fine. That's totally okay. And I think we'll see more and more such cases where players won't want, uh, a fielding team won't want to get a batter like that out. Unless, of course, and then you'll have the reverse situation of the batters retiring themselves out because they're not able to score. All that is fine. That's all tactics. That's all like there to win. But the reasoning that he gave after that, that, you know, had it been a World Cup game, he would have done it. Had it been this game, so so what? I mean, in tennis, you have this whole concept of tanking, right? Like, you're like, it's not, it's just a, a silly game. I don't, I want to conserve my energy. But are you tanking? What What are you doing? Like, you're supposed to win this game. They did win, which is all, that is later, that's fine. But it's just very odd when you see such instances and it could get them into all sorts of, complications going forward if they're going to follow these you know weird random ways of deciding whether to appeal or not one one just just as a quick follow-up that's okay one thing that i i completely agree with the idea that it's it to me it feels ridiculous that he did that but going back to the idea that these are arbitrary values we put on on what is fair and not fair right like not appealing is part of the rules as well right so not appealing in this and i i think about like in 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 football or soccer if you're american um for instance there was a game where uh, they felt like um a player should have been in, was injured and they didn't they played on the coach felt bad he yelled sign he let them score those are allowed within the rules it's so in in my view the one thing that i disagree with is thinking that what butler did was morally wrong and I don't think that's what you're all arguing, because I think I've seen that, which I find bizarre, because for me, that's not against the spirit of cricket either. I don't I think it's weird. I don't agree with it. Um, and again, there's contradictions there because he won't do it in a in, a, in an important game. This is a World Cup final. There's no way in hell he's letting that slide. However, I don't think it's against the spirit of cricket or immoral because the the appeal, the the act of appealing is within the rules um, and the it, the agency of the player exists there. Right. I don't know. I'm kind of curious what you all think about that. The only reason it could be seen as against the spirit of cricket is the question is, are you trying to win a game? And if he was, as I said, if it was a tactical decision to keep Wade, Matthew Wade in and not appeal for that, that's fine. But the question is, why are you letting it slide when this would probably give you a chance to win the game? That's the only question here. And the spirit of cricket obviously also involves trying to be as competitive as possible in the game. You know, so I think that's the only reason why you could bring that in. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, it is weird. <laughs> and England and, had... and of all people, sorry, and of all people, Matthew Wade, who has himself appealed before <laughs> for obstructing the field and got a dismissal against England again in like an earlier game. So, I mean, Matthew Wade would have probably been the most shocked of them all. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> didn't Mitchell Marsh say that? 
because it was Wade, he would like. I forget what the quote was. It was really funny. Yeah, that was actually. It was actually me who asked him because I'm oh, a really? horrible person. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. It was uh, when he was when he was talking to the media. I said, "Um, I was like, Mitch, if you were bowling and uh, you felt that you were obstructed in trying to take a catch by the batter, um, what would you appeal?" And he said, "Oh, poor Mitch. I apologise to him for asking that because." <laughs> And he and he said, "Ah, the old Dusty Martin," and uh, that's a an AFL reference to, you know, the old bump someone <laughs> yeah. out of the way. Um, and he said, he said, "Look, ah, oh, Josh, Josh said he he didn't see it. He was sort of demurring." And then he said, "Look, pro- I probably wouldn't unless it was Matthew Wade." If it was Matthew Wade, I'd definitely appeal. <laughs> That's which was actually a super answer and shows you what a great bloke Mitch Marsh was. There couldn't have been a better answer to a, an awful question from a really mean journalist like myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you asked because that was funny. I like to think so. <laughs> England have uh, appealed for obstructing the field before. Uh, I can recall. Uh, uh, the last time England cared to tour Pakistan, uh, Inzamam was out obstructing the field. And he wasn't even actually trying to obstruct the field. It was just he got in a bad position. So that was actually one occasion where you might have made the moral case that England shouldn't have appealed. <laughs> but they appealed and he was given out, which he, he was. So, uh, yeah, like, this just points out that when you you use these arbitrary criteria, and it, it uh, this can go in down a very slippery slope and... Uh, um, what about Ria, as uh, Melinda called it? So, mm-hmm. just to wrap up the discussion, yeah. with of course, it's happened to Inzaman. Was that the one when he was trying to, when it was like a throwback at the stumps from the bowler? And he just, I'm he talking just about the one against Steve Harmison, I think. Oh, okay, okay. All right. Okay. To be fair, there could um, probably could be an entire, an entire show just based on, uh, on Inzi. <laughs> Runouts and oh, the I like spirit this idea. of cricket, like and whether or not you should appeal. That's the, that, that, yeah. could, that could be a whole chapter. Uh, the the ten best ended dismissal. Spirit, <laughs> yeah, spirit of cricket preamble just involving oh, yeah. in, in the mum. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There'll be funny ones, and then there'll be the Daryl Hare one. There's so much to go on this. So much to go. Oh, that's happening. Thank you, Melinda. You'll have to come as well. I'm doing it. So. Yeah, I was just going to conclude the discussion by asking, uh, how do you see this debate evolving? How do you see uh, the players uh, respond? Because, you know, the uh, I'm really intrigued by the work that uh, Peter De La Pena has done on ESPN Cricket Info and how it's showed that so many batters are routinely out of their crease, um, not just England, but other batters. So it's sort of like, it seems that it's a habit because non-strikers runouts are not common. So um, do you see uh, this uh, debate uh, sort of leading to more runouts happening or players on their own staying inside the crease? Uh, will this ever become truly destigmatized? And uh, how do you see this debate moving forward? I think we'll be laughing about this 20 years down the line. Uh, these uh, people will, if people listen to this podcast, they're like, oh, okay, that's how ridiculous things were back then. <laughs> I, I, okay, at least that's my hope. I hope that we are laughing about it rather. Uh, I think, yeah, it probably more teams do it. 
batter starts staying within the crease. There are enough batters already who are staying well within the crease. Uh, and when Ashwin bowls, definitely all of them are staying within the crease. Uh, that's there's It's a deterrent for sure. I mean, Peter Delapena posted the recent uh, India-South Africa game, and he said all the batters are leaving the crease for so many bowlers. But when Ashwin bowls, nobody's leaving the crease. So I think more of this happens, more batters stay within the crease, and few of, few of them, fewer of them get run out in this way and then it moves on and then eventually then you you'll probably have a batter who tries to do it and gets out and then hopefully is pulled up for leaving the crease and then the bowler is not done so i'm hoping that this is a form of evolution for this whole uh, run out of the non-strikers end but yeah with the spirit of cricket i think this is something that's going to live with us for a while uh, because of the baggage that cricket has with its origins and with the way it's played in england and things I think that will keep coming up now and then for various reasons, uh, and people will discuss it differently because their idea of the spirit is completely different. But yeah, so that is something that uh, we have to probably live with for a while. But hopefully, the run out of the non-striker end is just a joke after a while, and it's like okay, Adder gets out of the crease, they're out. One quick question I just had, just because I remember, and I think Zainab, you know, is always pulls me up on it, not in a bad way, but in, in the right way to say, like, I keep saying mancat, but in, in quotations. One thing that I think a lot of people have talked about is, you know, what an incredible player he was and what we should remember him for. So this is a slight detour, but just going back to him, can somebody just talk about what he was as a player, what, you know, what his actual legacy should be and what how we should remember him? One of the things I was going to say is I, I actually think that's one of the keys as well. I know that there is a school of thought that it shouldn't, by by people who don't think there's anything wrong with the dismissal, they say, well, no, we should, we should call it a mancad because it shouldn't be shameful. It should be a, a celebration of a, of a player who did something that was really smart, clever cricket, and we should reclaim it. The problem is I think the horse has bolted on that because it's had, it's it's had too many connotations for too long. Now, I, I genuinely, I, I was talking to Mitch Stark today. That God, that sounds so wanky and, and name dropping. But but I'm just saying to him himself, we were having a big chat about it, and I said to him, "Were you like me?" I said, "Did you know what a mancad was before you knew who mancad was?" And he said, "Oh, absolutely." And you you're talking about you know someone who's pretty well versed in in the history of cricket, what cricket means, has played it at every level. I, I certainly did. I knew it. I knew what it was long before I knew he, who he was. And he was, he's an ICC Hall of Famer, uh, arguably India's greatest ever all-rounder, still holds records within the game um, and and should absolutely be celebrated for so many things, for the career that he had. Uh, and ironically, you know, even when Vinu Mankad uh, ran out uh, Brown, who was the Australian, and I know a lot of people say that the that the dismissal should be known as uh, being Browned because he was the first Test batter to be run out that way, uh, which would be a great solution. I just think it's practically it's never going to happen. Um, but but even Donald Bradman, who was playing in that game. Wrote in his autobiography, he had absolutely zero issue with the dismissal. It was completely legitimate, and and someone like Donald Bradman has a reasonable standing within the game, and was in the team where it happened. 
so so that that just shows you when when people like Sam Billings tweet, surely no one who's ever played the game can think that that dismissal is okay. Well, Donald Bradman thought it was okay. So you know that's someone who played a reasonable amount of cricket at a high level. Um, again, with with that debate, I I I don't I think it's optimistic to say in twenty years time. I'd love to say that in 20 years' time we'd be laughing about it. But I don't know. What do we do to make sure that happens? It's people at every level. So so as I said, I don't use the term mancat. It's not in the laws. It's a nickname. I, I would like to say that that publications around the world would make the decision that then they're going to refer to it as a run out. And, and I, I no longer work for Crick Info. But if I was working for Crick Info, I would be putting the argument that we should no longer use that term in uh, in articles because it's a convenience to use that word because we're used to it because everyone knows what you mean straight away when you say it. And it's a bit clumsier to say run out the non-striker. But Crick Info also re- stopped using the term Chinaman. They use left arm wrist spinner, which isn't, you know, it's four words instead of one, but it was decided it was the right thing to do for different reasons, but still right thing to do. And the same way it was unpopular when they started just announced that they were going to use batter instead of batsman, which of course, you know, kicked off a whole lot of things and it's still controversial in, in some areas, but it was seen as the right thing to do. So if publications remove that term, if if journalists and and commentators stop using that term and start referring to it as a run out, I think there's a destigmatizes de- a little bit. I think coaches, particularly in countries like England, Australia, New Zealand, they have a lot to do with it because it's, it's how you educate young players. So at the grassroots level, everyone can make a difference. Uh, I was I was contacted by someone who told me. He coached a team and and he was telling them that, that 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 dismissal was bad and he said kids being kids when they kept saying to him, but why when it's in the laws? The only thing he, he could say to them was because it just is. And then he said once he actually realised he was saying that, he stopped coaching them and said in, mm. the, in saying that it's bad, it's bad. Um, so coaches can. And I think just general then the public, when we talk about it, if we're on Twitter as well, taking the heat out of it and trying not to take it to the extremes. If you think it's right that, or you think it's a fair dismissal, absolutely sticking with your belief, but also having perhaps the understanding of why people are coming at it from culturally a different point of view. But also if you're coming from that side of the argument of feeling that it's not right understanding why or examining why you feel that way and and uh, and looking at why others don't i've also had some people say to me that they don't feel that all runouts of the non-striker are the same that you know that 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 sometimes if you're where do you draw the line <laughs> the well line not, again. not so much the about where line. you draw the line I, and it, it goes to the point that Sid was talking about about debating little specifics about the law itself 
the, the phrase of, of the, when you expect the ball to be released, for example, is, is probably a big one. Um, I know that so that some people feel that if the bowler isn't never intends to bowl, that um, you know that that's that's a little bit weird, or that maybe it should be once you're in the delivery stride, or maybe once the arm is uh, completely vertical. All those things fine to debate. All of those things still take away from the fact that the owners should be on the batter, and and I'd still keep coming back to that. But I do think that whatever level you are in the game and how you participate in the discussion, there are those things that you can do, and it's, it's international players as well in the way that they talk about it. Uh, there are things we can do to perhaps destigmatize it a little bit and perhaps change the perception around it. I don't know if it's going to happen in 20 years. Did you want to jump in there, Siddhartha? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, Vinu Mankad is perhaps, uh, you know, along with Kapil Dev, India's, uh, they are two of India's greatest all-rounders. You know, he played at a time when India was just starting out as a test playing country and he was, uh, he was arguably the best player on that team. And just the context of it to uh, go to Australia, uh, the very first time that an Indian team went to Australia to play against what was called the invincible Australian team, right? With Don Badman and things to, uh, he, uh, he first, this was a tour game before the test match where he ran out Bill Brown in exactly the same way after giving him a warning at the non-striker end. And then the same thing happened in a test and he ran him out again in the test match. So it's not like the test dismissal was the first time it happened. It also happened in the tour game. So it was, Bill Brown was obviously leaving the crease too often. Don Bradman didn't have a problem with it. A few people did at the time, but Bradman was unequivocal in saying that this has nothing to do with sportsmanship or spirit mm-hmm. of the game. It's in the laws and it's done. I do agree with, I do understand rather why people want to continue using the word mankat because they say there's real, if there's nothing wrong with it, why should we not use it? You know, it should be uh, a term that is celebrated. Mm-hmm, if a mm-hmm. bowler actually pulls it off and we say he mankatted him, it should, it's to the, it's to mankat's credit that he was the pioneer. While I agree with that, I think for the time being, at least the, it, the term can be sort of shelved because they, it has negative connotations to it. Plus, uh, uh, Rahul Mankad, who was Vinu Mankad's son, also said that this was the family was not happy with it. The fact oh, that okay. the Mankad was a term that was used in such negative connotations was something that the family wasn't happy with. The late Rahul Mankad, sadly, no more. But mm-hmm. given all that, I think the term can be shelved. And then, of course, historians can continue to remember it as Vinu Mankad being the pioneer. And maybe at some point, if there is a destigmatization, it can come back. But I, I think for now, I would go with um, R-O-N-S, Rons, as people have started <laughs> to abbreviate it, run out at the non-striker end. And uh, yeah, but, but Vinu Mankad, definitely, I mean, uh, uh, one of the great Indian cricketers and should be remembered for what he did on the cricket field rather than this one legitimate act of dismissing someone, which is uh, totally fine. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing that. That's important. Is, is Fidel... Oh, I think uh, I think Fidel okay. may have uh, dropped out again. The internet um, may be an issue. Um, Zainab, do you have any more questions? Or uh, no, I I I made all the questions, and uh, we did 
uh, squeeze in some nice England bashing. So uh, I've thought <laughs> this conversation. I'm going to edit this part out. I'm going to edit this part out. We've already done it. Like, you know, like the, <laughs> if there's one person who's got the spirit of the Mark Husey's anyone but England, it, it might be Zainab actually. <laughs> but actually, <laughs> one more to this part I might take out or maybe I'll keep it in actually it's quite funny one last question if that's okay um, just just a follow up it's a tricky one but I think uh, Siddhartha you're uh, you're well placed to answer this I feel like and may, I might be wrong about this in the sort of Twitter wars we've discussed all the main elements but I think there's a sort of thread that also goes through that's kind of maybe underneath it which includes the idea that because um, you know England is seen as the sort of imperial sort of like understandably right what I feel like, uh, um, I guess, disfigures the conversation or makes the conversation problematic, in my view, is been the fact that India currently is seen as the hegemon, right? And I feel like part of it is a sort of um, conflating, uh, seeing something wrong with what Deepti Sharma did as being somehow related to Indian dominance in the current realm, which I think is a problem. Like you can critique one without uh, confusing it with the mankar or the run out or the non-striker and its issue. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the narrative war, right? Like you're trying to, I mean, it's pretty clear that uh, the, the economic center of cricket uh, is uh, obviously uh, the subcontinent now, especially India. And that has been clear for a while now. But I think it's the, it's in trying to win this narrative war that you conflate the economic aspect of the game with the, uh, what is happening in the game itself. And uh, yes, I think if this had been uh, some other uh, cricketer from some other country, would this have become as would uh, that economic factor would not have come in? I mean, I'm just saying, like for instance, had a had it been West Indian cricketer or had it been a you know, and a, we have an example of Butler with Sri Lanka, right? Like I think in and with it, Sri Lanka, yeah, yeah, and it Six. didn't become the culture war. It was it was it was an issue, but it wasn't this level of sort of controversy. Yeah, Sena Naike, right? Wasn't that the name of the bowler? I think yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah, so I, I think it would have been, yeah. that. then it yeah, would have been it discussed. Sachitra Sena Naike, yeah. Yeah, Sachitra Sena Naike. Then it would have been discussed more in terms of the laws and obviously the spirit would have come in. But yeah, now you have this whole uh, sort of uh, extra uh, economic war that is also part of it. So yeah, for sure. I think when an Indian, an, when an Indian bowler does it, it's bound to happen. Yeah, but like, if only women's cricket had cottoned on to the genius marketing ploy <laughs> and PR ploy that is running out the non-striker because it's had people talking about it for weeks, that you have not had international male cricketers asked about a women's international as much as, as has happened, there's never been this much discussion, I swear, about a women's game. If only, if only they'd thought about it ages ago. Just a little point on the, the class thing too, though. So that's interesting to me in that while class exists in Australia, there's, I don't know, it, it feels like it's still just very much an Australian thing that a lot of Australians think that spirit of cricket thing applies to running out of the non-striker feels less of a class thing in Australia. It's, it's, it's simply indoctrination, uh, to everybody who plays cricket from a young age. So it's kind of a little bit different now. I think a lot of Australians feel just as strongly about it as Mm -hmm. English people without it necessarily being a class based thing. So. 
just, yeah, I don't know, maybe a little difference. No, no, I think you're right. And I think class, it doesn't like, it, it can't be reduced to class, but yeah, in some countries, the class element yeah. plays in it. You're, no, you're exactly, you're exactly right. Um, one just quick last question. Do you think, uh, just looking at Australia and England, do, are there any differences in the way sport of cricket is seen? Uh, um, I think it's actually probably quite similar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, although I think, again, I think Australia, uh, it suits your purposes. I mean, who's, who's going to say, if you talk about spirit of cricket, rubbing sandpaper on a ball, because I know then lots of people would love to bring that up. <laughs> Do we think that's in the spirit of cricket? I, you can then point to South Africa, you know, using zippers or, or the English crickers, cricketers using Murray mints. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Again, I, I think it just suits your own purpose. Everyone wants to feel that they're in this kind of a higher moral position. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it actually Australia is very similar to England. It's just how much you want to win mm-hmm. and how much you want to win might influence how much you're willing to to shift that magical line mm-hmm. and and to a, just a spot where it, it suits your purposes thank you so much um i think uh, fidel has some internet issues so uh, he has dropped out so i will end recording but before that i just want to say thank you to um all of you zainab thank you so much for co-hosting i hope i didn't i feel bad i think i jumped in uh when it was your turn my apologies for that um and thank you so much Siddhartha. thank you so much that's against the spirit of podcasting <laughs> oh podcast no 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 <laughs> I, what is where is the line, Melinda? Where is the line? I don't know. You just crossed it. You just this is, crossed it. This is not how one learns how to podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, wow! You just made uh, Zainab's day. So yeah, thank you so much uh, to all of you and uh, for shitting on me. I genuinely appreciate it. That that was the energy we needed to end the podcast. It got a bit low, but you all brought it back up by shitting on me. I appreciate that. Uh, thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Before I finish, I just want to say thank you to Dekobe for letting me use his music. You can donate to my Patreon page if you would like to help me in continuing to do these podcasts. Links with information about the guests, the music, and the Patreon page can be found in the podcast description. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.